heard before. So if you would turn with me to the book of Obadiah. Now, I have chosen the hardest book in the Bible to find. So I will give you a little bit of time to get there. If we were to think about the shortest books in the Bible, I believe the three shortest books are 3 John, 2 John, and Philemon. The fourth shortest book in the Bible is the book of Obadiah, which means it's the shortest book in our Old Testament. The book of Obadiah, so a whole 21 verses long. Brother Rick Maddish was asking me this morning if I was going to cover 16 chapters. And I'm not going to cover 16 chapters, but we are going to look at 16 verses in the book of Obadiah. All right, everyone there, book of Obadiah, we will begin in verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape-gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom, and understanding out of the mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, O Timon, shall be dismayed, to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, In the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother, in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress." 
For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. That's some hard reading right there. And let me, let me just ask you this. How many of you have ever heard a sermon from the book of Obadiah before that you remember? Anyone here? I see one hand. It's not the book we turn to every day. And I, I'll be honest with you, the reason that I initially chose this book, like I said, this is a repeat sermon, the reason I initially chose the book was because it was short. And I wanted the practice of preaching through an entire book of the Bible. So, we're, I, 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 I made a series, two parts, and we're going to look at the first part this morning, the second part this evening. The first part is verses 1 through 16, which we just read. Before we dig in, let's pray. Ask the Lord's blessing. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. While this is a somewhat obscure passage, we thank you that every part of your word has application to our lives today. We ask that you would help us to understand what you were intending the original readers of this prophecy, what you intended for them to understand, and then help us to apply that to our lives as well. We ask this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I do want to make this confession up front as well. I am going to be heavily dependent on my notes. So if I'm looking down a lot, that's why. Justice is a buzzword in our society today. Everyone wants justice for their cause. They want racial justice. They want economic justice. We as humans desire justice. We want life to be fair. We want it to be equitable. Now, if we're the ones who come out on top, we're okay with that. But if someone else does... We demand justice. We want life to be fair. But the world that we live in is not fair. It's not just. And when the world is full of injustice, how are we as believers in Jesus Christ supposed to respond? How do we respond to this injustice in the world? Here in Obadiah... We're going to see this prophecy, but we're going to see the people of Judah. This is really who Obadiah, or who the Lord is speaking to through Obadiah. He's really speaking to the people of Judah. Now, the prophecy is about Edom, but I don't really think that the the people who he's intending for this to be taken in by, to be understood by, is the Edomites, so much as it is the people of Judah. The people of Judah have just suffered injustice at the hands of the Edomites. So let me give you a little background on who the Edomites were. The Edomites were descendants of Esau, the twin brother of the Israelite patriarch Jacob. 
And as we read through the passage, you probably heard some terms in there and talked about the Mount of Esau, talked about your brother Jacob. It's referring back to that, the, the relation between the nation of Judah and the nation of Edom, that they're sort of, they're descendants of twins. So you could say these are cousin nations, if you will. Perhaps you recall that Jacob and Esau didn't have the best of relationships as brothers. Jacob stole Esau's blessing from their father Isaac. But Esau, for his part, threatened to kill Jacob in response. They didn't have the best of relationships. And Esau's descendants and Jacob's descendants really just kept up the fighting, the disagreement. When Moses tried to bring the Israelites through the land of Edom on their way to Israel, the Edomites stopped them. They wouldn't let them come through their land. And this conflict just continued. There were some points in their history where Israel actually ruled over Edom, but for the most part, we just have this continual conflict between these two nations. And then we come to the point at which Obadiah was written. And there's several possibilities for when it's written, but I think the most likely is it was written right around 587 B.C. If you were in adult Sunday school class this morning, you heard some of these dates as Mr. Maddish was giving a review of the Bible overview that he's been going through over the past year. 587 B.C. is when the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem. But the Lord doesn't write this prophecy against the Babylonians. He could have written, really, the same prophecy against them. But he wrote it against the Edomites. Because it seems, from this book, that the Edomites joined with the Babylonians in destroying and plundering Jerusalem. And in some ways, it seems like the Lord takes it more seriously because they were brothers. They were relatives. And this book is the response from the Lord to the injustices done by the nation of Edom. In verses 1 through 16, which we're going to look at this morning, Obadiah records that God is going to judge the nation of Edom. So here is the big idea that I want for us to see from this book. In an unjust world, we can depend on God's promise that he will be just. He will be just. Our God will be just. Because the people of Israel are probably right now, they're being taken to captivity in Babylon. And the Lord gives this message through the prophet Obadiah that God is still going to be just. He's going to punish these Edomites for the wrong that they do. In an unjust world, we can depend on God's promise that he will be 
just. Does that have application for us today? Do we live in an unjust world? Yes, we do. And we, we too, even though we're not the Israelites, we're not the Edomites, we too can depend on God's promise that he will be just. So I want to ask you, are you today trusting in God's promise that he will be just? Are you trusting in his justice? Or maybe you think that you have to bring about justice in this world. You think it depends on you. It depends on humans. And if we don't do something, this world's going to fall apart. God isn't going to keep his promises. Well, I want to remind you that God will be just. I want us to see today two certainties from these verses regarding the justice of our God. First certainty that we see is that nothing will hinder God's justice. For this, we'll look at verses 1 through 7. Beginning here, verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence, or the idea is from there, from your high, lofty position, will I bring you down, saith the Lord. There in verse 2, the Lord informs Edom that he has made them a small and a despised nation. Most points in his history, Edom wasn't anything great. It was a very small nation. And when I mean small, I mean small. It was approximately 70 miles north to south, approximately 15 miles east to west. This is a very small nation. But the Edomites didn't seem to recognize their own insignificance. Verse 3, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? They thought they were something big, something great. No one, no one can conquer us. They were proud. They prided themselves in their defenses. And they did have some significant defenses. They were in the mountains. Some points those mountains are more than 5,000 feet above sea level. It really is a rocky fortress. But the Edomites thought that they were invincible. No one could touch them. They could do what they pleased. No one could stop them. But God can judge any nation. And I could add, he could judge any group. He could judge any person. But certainly here, he can judge any nation. Over in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40 and verse 15, the Lord says, Behold, the nations are as a drop 
of a bucket. They're like that little drop of water in the bottom of your bucket. And then a couple verses later, all nations before him are as nothing. They are counted to him less than nothing. Vanity. We sometimes think that there are these superpowers in the world. Not to God. They're nothing to him. No nation, no matter whether it's a great nation like our nation, or it's a very small nation like the nation of Edom, no nation can withstand the judgment of God. He will be just. No defense will hinder God's justice. But also notice with me that no alliance will hinder God's justice. Look at verse, begin verse 5. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some of grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee, even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. So in verse 7, we find out, it isn't the Lord who is directly judging the nation of Edom. He's actually using other humans, other nations, to accomplish his goals. But it's not the enemies of Edom that he chooses to use. Notice in verse 7, it's all the men of thy confederacy. The men of your alliance. The people who were at peace with you, as it says later in the verse. It's your friends. These are the people who are going to bring God's judgment on you. That's what he says to the nation of Edom. These allies are going to turn on the Edomites, lure them to their nation's border so that they can fight with them. So the Edomites had these alliances, but their alliances wouldn't stop, would not hinder the judgment of God. In fact, he used their, their allies as the means to judge them. Again, I say no alliance, nothing will hinder the justice of our God. He will be just, and nothing can hinder that justice. So perhaps this morning, you're concerned about the direction our country is headed in. I think you should be concerned. But don't let that concern rule your life. Because God is still on the throne, and God will be just. He can take any nation, any person, and he can judge them. And it really isn't our place. There's a verse that says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Nothing will hinder the justice of our God. We can depend on his promise that he will be just. The first certainty that we see Nothing will hinder God's justice. 
And I want to take another point of application here. For the believer, it means that we should trust in the Lord. Trust that he will be just, that he will do what's right, that if, some, that if we have been wronged, that God will right that wrong. But if you are not a believer here this morning or watching online, then this message should be scary. It really should be. It should scare you that God will be just. Because if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, then that means that God's justice for what you have done has not yet been satisfied. And you deserve every bit of God's judgment. But let's, let's continue on and see our second certainty from these verses. Nothing will hinder God's justice, but also nothing will escape God's justice. Look with me, beginning in verse 8 and 9. We'll see here that no person will escape God's justice. Verses 8 and 9. So we're not just talking about nations. We're talking about individuals. Verses 8 and 9. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom, and understanding out of the mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, O Timon, shall be dismayed, to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. Again, I say this is a hard passage. God's saying that every person in Edom is going to be destroyed because they have done wrong things. They have done that which is wicked, and God is going to judge them. He will be just. No person will escape his justice. So the natural question to ask at this point is, have these events already occurred? Has Edom already received its judgment? And I think, at least in part, maybe in full, it has already received its judgment. Certainly, we don't see a country named Edom on the map today. Soon after this prophecy, Edom decreased whatever power and influence it had. And the Edomites were forced out of their rocky fortress into the wilderness south of Judah, which would then be called Idumea. Idumea, you can hear the relationship between Idumea and Edom. There's a, there's a language similarity there. Perhaps you remember in the New Testament, King Herod was an Idumean, most likely a descendant of the Edomites. But after King Herod... After the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, we don't really see any more reference to Edomians or to Edomites. So it seems like they're gone. Seems like God has destroyed them. But really, regardless of whether their destruction has already taken place or will take place in the future, it's clear that God is going to judge or has judged this nation. God judges nations for their wickedness. But as we've seen, he also judges individuals. Every person will be accountable to God. Now, God judges some people now. 
There are certain consequences to our actions now. But ultimately, he will judge all those who do evil. There are other passages, especially in the New Testament, that teach us that those who have trusted in Christ, we don't have to fear being condemned. We don't have to fear the justice of our God. For us, God's justice can be a beautiful thing. The book of Romans tells us that God is both just and the justifier. He is both right and the one who makes us right. If we've trusted in Jesus Christ, we don't have to fear the justice of God because we have already been punished in Jesus Christ. He took our punishment for us. We don't have to fear the justice of our God. But for those who have not trusted in Christ, they do have to fear the justice of God. The Bible tells us that those who are ungodly will suffer eternally in a place called the lake of fire. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're actually doing a series in 2 Thessalonians Sunday nights about once a month. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power. No person will escape the justice of our God. And like I say, this is a very sobering passage, a very sobering message. I want to mention a quote from a very famous magician. Now, this magician, his name is Penn Jillette. You may have heard of Penn Jillette. He is an atheist. He does not believe the Bible. He does not believe that God exists. Penn Jillette made this statement, and I am paraphrasing, because I do not have this quote written down here. But Pendulette made this statement. If you truly believe in this, that there is a place where people will suffer eternally, where they, this place called hell or the lake of fire, if you truly believe in this, here's the quote. How much do you have to hate someone to not tell them about it? That's an atheist that says that. And and he actually believes that you should proselytize. If you believe that, you should tell people about it. He doesn't believe it. But if you truly believe it, why would you not tell someone about it? How much do you have to hate someone not tell them? Because no person will escape the justice of our God. Looking down at verses 10 through 16, not only will no person escape God's justice, but also no action will escape God's justice. In these verses, he tells us some of the things that these people did. Beginning in verse 10, For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, 
In the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother, in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. The day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not. Now, as you read through that list, you might think, well, I'm not that bad. I never went into someone's city and started plundering it and started taking people captive and stood in the crossways, in other words, where the pathways meet, and I didn't stay there and see the fugitives running away and grab them and give them over to the Babylonians. I never did that that kind of evil. Well, you may not have. I'm guessing that no one here has done that kind of evil. But you're still accountable for what you have done. As it says in verse 15, as you have done, it will be done to you. So perhaps you are not as sinful as the next guy. But that is not our standard. Our standard is perfect holiness, perfect righteousness, Our standard is God himself, and we don't match up. Which is why Jesus Christ came. Why he became a man, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross so that we could be made right with God. So that God could be both just and the justifier. But let's take it back to the believer here this morning. Some of you may have been grossly mistreated by someone else. You've been, someone has acted unjustly toward you. Perhaps it was a relative. This is certainly talking about relatives in this passage. Perhaps it was a friend or a coworker. Let me remind you that every person will be held accountable for their actions. It's not your responsibility to hold them accountable. It's God's responsibility. And he will be just. He will hold them accountable. And he will render judgment and justice to those who do wrong. Again, the question is, are you trusting in God's justice? Are you relying on his promise? that he will do that which is just, that he will be right, that he will right the wrongs and be just in all that he does. So we've seen two certainties this morning about God's justice. 
seen that nothing will hinder God's justice, nothing will escape the justice of our God. I just want to remind you that our God will. He certainly